Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. It really is good to be back here. I've been coming to Hillside for a long, long time, and it's just always good to be able to come into a place where you come and people know you by name. Um, and then you start to realize, actually, they obviously didn't listen to me the first time because they invited me back, um, or, or at least sent apologies, but it really is good. So to bring greetings from Real Life, um, we need a church called Real Life Church in, in Johannesburg, and you know, we are just enjoying the season. And I'm, I'm totally convinced, as believers, we have hope, we have a vision, we have a perspective that allows us to have influence. Uh, and I want to encourage you this afternoon uh, that a, as a, a group of people, as a group of friends, we have something that the world radically needs. And so I'm not 100% sure where we're going to go this afternoon. Um, if I say morning, just forgive me. It's not normal to be able to do service at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I kind of feel like i got jet lag. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of fun. If I get hiccups or do strange things, just move swiftly past it. If you put your finger into a plug, you'll manifest. If you put yourself in the presence of God, you'll manifest. The voltage is just a, a lot more. Um, please put out your hands. And say after me, Lord, I forgive him for anything that he says that I don't like. I choose to encourage him. No, come, put up your hands. I choose to encourage him. I will say amen in the right places. And afterwards, I'll buy him a drink. Hallelujah. So let's have a, a, little, a little bit of fun. My, my challenge is, if you need to turn me down, turn me down, because I'm not screaming, I just get passionate, and, and I can't use my outside voice inside, you know, and I, so we, we'll just move forward and have a lot of fun. But people also say, you know, Stu, what is the will of God? What has God called me to? What has God called us to? What is it that God wants us to do? And I sit down and say, actually, I have no idea. But we'll explore, we'll explore some of it. And, and this afternoon, I'm wanting to remind us that as, as believers, we, we never walk alone. My perspective is that it's impossible to be in the will of God. It's impossible to do things that Holy Spirit, that Father has for you, and try and do it on your own. God has called you to community. God has called you to family. And if we're not doing it with somebody, if we're not doing it in community, then I would suggest that you are doing something that's outside the power and the potential and the authority and the mandate of what God has for you. I am a huge fan of church. I am definitely not a fan of religion, but I have a tremendous appreciation for the family of God. I detest religion and I love community and I love family. And the more time, you know, and I think one of the reasons that I'm here this morning is because Roger opened up and said, I don't know this man, you know. I invited him before I actually got to, got to know him. Uh, but one of the things for me is that the more I come into, into places like Hillside, I see a sense of family and community unpacking and developing. And that, at the end of the day, is the heart of God and what he has for us. If you want to build something significant, if you want to build something of the kingdom of God, friends, you have to invest in family. 
You have to have a covenant connection. You have to have a commitment to family and to kingdom and to doing it together. Now, I look at family and, you know, we, we flew in yesterday from Durban and it was my most horrendous flight as far as crying babies are concerned. I had two in front of me, two behind me, one next to me. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what on earth are you doing here? You know, sometimes you just want the plane to go down. <laughs> and I said, stop being selfish. No, but, but, but family has crying babies. You know, family has the unusual uncle, and I'm not just talking about John. You know, family... <laughs> Family has the, the, the awkward auntie, but every part of family have the, the, these, these, these people in us. And the will of God should be freeing and it should be fulfilling. It came through the prayer meeting before the service. The will of God should be freeing and fulfilling. But sadly for so many people, and so many people inside the church, we feel ensnared and we feel trapped we feel imprisoned by the things that we think God is calling us to because we have a poor understanding of the heart of God, of what family really means, and the character of God. Friends, our view of God and our view of family can often paralyze us from doing what He has for us, where in essence it should propel us into what He wants for us. And if you are feeling paradise, if you're feeling in limbo, if you're not feeling turned on, no, I mean, uh, excited, if you're not feeling excited about what God is doing in your life, then maybe you need to ask God or ask someone to help me understand more of what it is that God wants in store for me. I think the greatest war, the greatest warfare that is happening in the church at the moment is one of control. There is just so much control that is happening in the church. Control of how we do things, how we understand God, what we do and how we do it. Friends, control has a way of closing down our hearts when God wants to open up our hearts and our spiritual eyes and allow us to wonder at the incredible things that he is doing. God is far less worried about where you are going than what you are becoming. And for too many of us, we are more worried about where we are going and what we are going to do and how we are going to do it. And this morning, I want to break that light off. It is not about the destination. It's about the process of becoming more and more like Him. We should embrace the fact that we don't know what we're doing. I love the fact, one of my favorite scriptures, is not by wise and persuasive words. I go, yes. You know, I don't have to be a theologian. I don't have to have a doctorate. I don't have to be a clever person. Now, I think all the clever genes went to my teenagers, or they think they all went to them. But I don't have to be clever. I don't have to understand it to be in the will of God. And spending some time with the, the new leaders last night, what, some of them would say, but, you know, I, we really don't have all the answers. We don't know where it is and how it is. Okay, that is the best place to be. As soon as people tell me they have the solution, they have the answers, I start to worry. Friends, you, you are living in a realm of control or you don't really understand what it is or the awesomeness that God is taking you into. I celebrate the fact that I'm clueless. The less I know, the more I can love him. The less I know, the more I can trust him. The less I know, the more I depend on him to take me into areas that are far bigger and greater than me. My love, my commitment, my devotion to God and to his people and to the community is not limited by my worldly understanding. 
if I start to relate and look at communities and families and people with my, my limited worldly understanding, I will be highly annoyed. I will be hurt. I'll be frustrated. I will give up. You only have to have teenagers to know that it's really, really challenging. And I think I, can, I better look after three teenagers. How can I look after a church of a whole load more? I go, oh, Lord, I don't have to live in control because you know better. I think one of the problems with our religious mindsets is that we want to control. We want to know the answers. We want to have it all together. You know, we, we want God to be able to give us a, a, a ways or a sat-nav. You just give him the GPS coordinates. Tell me exactly what it is. That, you know, I just want God to tell my wife. Now, if God tells Alison, I know we are okay, you know, but for so many of us, we just want God, God, why don't you tell me exactly where I'm going to end up? Give me the path, give me where it is, and then I'll be happy. The reality is God isn't giving us a GPS location. God is not interested in the, in, in the destination as much as he is in the journey and what we're doing. And why is that? Because we, we need to live by faith. Now, I just dropped, you know, I, I, I'm borrowing um, uh, Sharon and John's car, and it's a far bigger car than my car, and your roads in Hillcrest are far smaller than our roads in Johannesburg. You know, I just don't understand the logic of that, you know, but, but just not knowing where we're going and having a small road and a big vehicle, I have to live by faith far more. <laughs> we're driving on the road today, and Brendan Cooper comes in the opposite direction, and the road is so small that in the, I, I don't know whether it's a four by four, but it thinks it's a four by four. So we have to like go up the bank, but, and we're talking to Brandon Cooper down here, you know? But it's the ability to live by faith and to and, and say, Father, you are in control. How many, of you heard, how many of you have heard the illustration that a goldfish will only grow to the size of its bowl? How many of you haven't heard that? And the rest of you are not gonna put your hands no matter what I say. Now, I've heard this illustration that a goldfish will only grow to the size of a small, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but what I do know is it's true for people. People will only grow to the size of their vision. People will only grow to the size of their scaffolding. People will only grow to the size of the limitlessness or the limitations of what is around them. And we need to have people around us who will be able to stretch us and break us out that bowl and usher us into a kingdom of God that is limitless and all-powerful, all-consuming, almighty, so that we can rise up and be everything that God has called us to be. I am so, I, I need to be nice. I need, a, I need to be nice. I'm going to try to be nice. We only grow into the size of our tank. We only grow into the size of our vision. We only grow into the size of the relationships that we have around us. And if we live with small-minded people in small-minded churches, we become bland and boring. I think one of the greatest challenges to the church today is that we are just not exciting. Most churches and most believers, I would suggest, are pretty boring. You know, and I don't want to eat locusts and do all those things, but I want, to have a, I want to have a life that my children can be proud of. I want to have a life that my community finds exciting. And so I make the decisions and the choices, oh, Lord, won't you take me into places that, I, that, that just excite me? And I'm one of those people, I've got, I've got sanitizing dental in my car. I won't eat food with my fingers. I hate things like prawns and oranges where you get that, like, white stuff underneath your nails. And you just, you know, like, I, I don't understand why people like spare ribs, you know. It's just like, ah, oh, it is like vile. You know, I, I don't like dirt. I don't like goo, I, you know. I, you know, confessions was like I won't even touch a bar of soap. I think there's nothing more revolting than a bar of soap. You know what I mean? It's just like ah, 
you know? So like, I, I never wash my face. I, just like, oh, I can't stand this stuff. So like, I, I'll use shower gels and, and things like that. I've got, a, I've got a razor that automatically squirts moisturizer as it's shaving, so I don't have to like touch it, you know? <laughs> Honestly, I, I, like, I, I, I'm scared of cotton wool, you know? Okay, every pastor has their issues. I've shared mine, at bright time afterwards, line up and speak to Roger, you know? And so look, we, do, we, we do a whole lot of outreach things, and, and the type of outreaches that we do in our community are, are different and all. We don't do soup kitchens and things like that. We, we look after prostitutes and do a lot of work with prostitutes, so it's quite interesting when I'm driving home on Thursdays, and I've got my teenage son, who's 17, and his friend's in the back of the car, and he says, Dad, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to spend the evening with my prostitutes. And like, you, can, you can look at the rear view mirror, it's like, what did you dance? You know? But we spend a lot of time, we, we go into, into like really dodgy parts of Hillbrow and we make fires for these ladies and we, we take them roses on Thursday nights and we take them chocolates and we, we let them know that they're loved and that they're special. And, and you know, the ladies aren't there because they choose to be there. And we want to say, actually, it's not your situation, your circumstance that defines you. And we just want to come and love on you and show you. And, and, and sometimes we go, we, we pay them to have time with them. You know, I think a bit like, you know, it's just like not what pastors normally do, you know. It's, it's fine until it comes to my expense account, you know. And I send, I send it to Candace, Thursday night, four prostitutes, you know. <laughs> but then we go into this part of Hilbra, and we've got some friends who spend time in Hilbra, and they said, what is the most dangerous place in the whole of Hilbrow that we can go to. And there's this place that's inhabited by a certain community. The first name that comes to mind, you're right. And so there's, and we go there, and it's the most dangerous part of Hilbra. And we, we, we go in there, I don't go in there often, because we've got braver people than me in church. And, but I just go in there every now and then so that I look good, I need a photograph of my Facebook. And, and so like I, I go in there, and I, and I spend some time with it. And before we go in, the, the, the guys who lead this ministry go, whatever you do, don't touch anybody. And if you do touch somebody, don't wash your eyes or touch your eyes, you know. You, you go, there's, there's all sorts of things going on there. And I, so I go, and I go to this one friend about France, and, and France is about 60, and he's a huge guy. And we go in there, and he, and he goes there like every Thursday night, and he says, Stuart, come and meet my friend. And he, come, and, come and sit down with me, and we, we lie down in these cardboard boxes, and I've been told, don't touch anybody, don't do anything, where's my wet wipes, you know, and, and I'm trying to sit down, you know, and, and, and France is going, oh, this is my friend, and, and, I'm, and France shakes his hand and, and hugs him, and, and I'm feeling really awkward, and, and, and I do it, I'm thinking, actually, these are the people in my community that allow me to have a life that my children are proud of. I don't know how many children are proud of what their parents do when their parents go out and spend time with the untouchable and the unreachable and the people that nobody else has time, has time for. It's time that we come out of our, our narrow-mindedness and into the hugeness of the kingdom of God. In this new season of Hills, I want to encourage you that God has a cosmic view of you and he wants you to have a cosmic view of the will of God over your life. And too many believers nowadays have a convenient view of God. And I want to break a mentality of a convenient view of God and say this evening, maybe the end of a convenient view of the will of God over your life and over this community, and may a cosmic, yeah, a cosmic view be ushered in. And why is it important for us to change 
the mindset that we have over God, over ourselves, and what God has called us to do. It's because we're called to live in a greater space, to usher in a greater sense of freedom. And again, that came through in the, in the, in the prayer meeting this afternoon. When I have a greater sense of, the, of freedom, I can have a greater sense of the fulfillment of what God has for me. And friends, the, my challenge to you as a community is to find a sense of fulfillment and a sense of freedom. And if you can't find your fulfillment and a sense of freedom in what you're doing, then start to ask Holy Spirit to break off the lies or the limitations and give you a fresh sense of vision to what it is that He has in store for you. I look at everything I do with a perception of kingdom. I prepare with kingdom in mind. I have brides with kingdom in mind. I go into Hillbrow with kingdom in mind. I go into the shopping mall with kingdom in mind. And the fact is the church needs to fundamentally change how we see what it is that God has called us to be and to do on every moment of every day. Too many people live with a small and narrow mindset of what God has called them to do. And this is a fundamental significant moment for us to make a decision. It's not a decision of convenience, but it's a decision of it's a decision of kingdom. Be able to say, I'm going to live and have an expectation for so much more. Um, I think one of the things that reduce our ability to see God is religion. Religion only sees God in religious places. And God is not in religious places. And we need the freedom to be able to say, God, what is it that you're really wanting me to do? Break open my box. Break open my fish tank. Break open my fishbowl so I can see so much more of what you have for me. I'm reminded of Joseph. Joseph, God gives this 70-year-old boy, Joseph, a dream. And nobody says this dream is not from God. So God gives Joseph a dream. How many of you know who Joseph is? Okay, so first time visitors, you can be excused. But, but God gives this 70-year-old boy a dream, and it's a God dream. And he has this dream about the significance and the will of God for his life, and he shares it with people who should be his confidence and his champions, the people who should blow window sides. He shares it with his brothers and his family, and they get frustrated and annoyed because there's a jealousy and there's a religious motive behind him, and they feel insecure about the dream that Joseph has. And so they sell him into slavery, and they put him in a pit. And I think nowadays you would say, well, I never do that. There's no way I'd listen to somebody's dream and put them into a pit. There's no, there's no way I'd listen to what God is saying to somebody and put them into, in, into bondage or sell them off. But, I would suggest that so often, so many of us do the exact same thing. When somebody says, God is giving this most amazing dream, and maybe something in us is insecure about ourselves, or we don't see them, God sees them, we go, that just can't be. How can God give you a bigger dream than me? You know, I know what your family life is like. How can God call you to be raised up to do X, Y, and Z? Because we see things through the narrow-mindedness of a situation and circumstance rather than the cosmic ability of what God has in store for them. And so we slowly start to put people in a pit and in, into bondage through unresolved things, through the way that we speak to people, through our perception of who they are rather than what God has for them. I want you to, oh, I mustn't get distracted right now. 
Now we put people or ourselves in a, in a pit and into slavery, into bondage. We don't understand the sacrifice that it makes to be able to fulfill the things that God has in store for us. We become passive about our dreams. We become passive about challenge, challenging them and making them come into fulfillment. And I think passivity is one of the things that is going to minimize your dream or your potential to dream big. Passivity is going to kill relationships. Passivity is going to kill dreams. Passivity is going to kill your calling and your vision and your, passiv- and, and your, passive, and your passion. And then you make a decision to say, I'm going to rise up and be all that Holy Spirit has called me to be. I'm so, so conscious and reminded of the fact that Joseph had this, had this dream, and he had this God-given dream, and, and when he was thrown into the pit and into, into slavery, I would imagine that all the charismatic, happy, clappy Christians just saying, kumbaya, would have said to him, there's just no ways that your dream, could, you can be in the will of God because of what you're experiencing. How can you be found in the will of God, and yet you are in a pit, you are in isolation, you're away from your family, and these are things that are going on around you? And I, was, I, I know that in my past, I've looked at people, I said, I don't understand how you can be in the will of God if I look at your situation and circumstance. But God isn't looking at the situation and circumstance. He's looking at the character and the growth and the maturity of believers. I think too many people in churches grow old before they grow up. And this is a time where we grow up and be all that God's called us to. And so he, he, he sold into, into, into slavery, and after a while he, he gets out and he goes into, in, into the palace, and he goes into, and I think we would then say, fantastic, you are now in the palace. You surely are now in the center of God's plan for you. I can understand that you weren't in the center of God's plan where you were in the prison and the pit and everything, but you're in the palace. This really is amazing. Not realizing that in the palace there's going to be all the trials and tribulations and things that are going to end up allowing him to end up back in prison. And so Joseph ends up in prison. And how many of us would say that somebody in prison cannot be where God wants him to be? It just cannot happen. But I've spent time in prison, so I know that in the prison, God can do the most amazing things. And I'm an overachiever, so I've been in prison more than once. (laughs) And I've learned some of my greatest lessons through those times as well. And so he ends up in prison, and there's the, the, the Pharaoh's baker and his cupbearer. And another, other trans, uh, translations say um, the, um, the, oh, God, like, the cupbearer or the wine steward. I, that, I would rather be a wine steward than a cupbearer. You know? And so they end up, they, they're in prison together, and they have dreams, and they don't know what to do with their dreams. So they tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph says what? The first thing he says is dreams come from God. And I get so excited about that because he remembers that dreams come from God. He remembers that God speaks to him. He remembers that the thing that he had, the dream that he had, that it ended up in being ignored, abused, put in a pit, put, sold in a slavery, ended up in jail. Those things still came from God, and he didn't give up. And I want you to suggest to you this evening that there are so many people who through situations and circumstances have given up on their dreams and their passion because they don't think that God can be in it. God, if only you knew how I felt. God, if only you knew where I am. If only you knew my GPS at the moment, you would understand that I cannot be in the sense of what you 
have called me to be. And so Joseph says, dreams come from God. And he can be test me to that because he has a history of being able to hear and interpret dreams. And so they ask him, they say to him, won't you give me an interpretation? And so he gives him the interpretation to the, to the baker. And he says, in three days' time, you're going to be released. And then you are going to be killed. And then you are going to be impaled. Now, I don't even like an enema. So the mere thought of being impaled <laughs> is just like horrendous. You know? And so he says, you... you we family. <laughs> what I thought we were. And so he's going to be impaled. Okay, get rid of that thought now. And then the birds are going to come and peck at you and eat at you. I'm going, no, that, that, that interpretation just cannot be from God. And if I was the, the chief wine steward and the cup bearer, at this stage I'd go, hey, Joseph, that interpretation... Please, you know, I'd, I'd rather go find somebody else. You know, I don't want your interpretation. And he says, in three days' time, you're going to be released, and you're going to find favor. And then he says to the cupbearer, so in three days, three days after that, the cupbearer the cup is being released. And, and I, the cupbearer is going, yeah, I'm going to be released. I'm going to be set free. I'm going to find favor. And what does Joseph say? Joseph says to him, when you're released, won't you remember me to Pharaoh? And if I was Joseph, I'd be going, this is my moment. This is my time. Everything that God has called me to is going to come to fruition now. I've been able to interpret dreams. I've been able to be, have them fulfilled. And now Pharaoh's going to hear about it, and you're going to find blessing and all these amazing things. Yeah, my moment has come. And I would suggest that there are folk here this evening who feel that my moment has come. But what happens then is the cupbearer leaves the prison and he forgets. I would be so annoyed. I would like to use other words, but I don't know whether we like, you know, if, if enemas awkward, since some other words might be bad. But I'd be so annoyed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you said it, not me. I'd be so annoyed if I had been able to interpret a dream, give a prophetic word, give an interpretation, and somebody gets released from jail and finds favor, and they just ignore me. And I think that if we press pause for a moment, there are folk here this evening who feel the exact same thing. Lord, I had a dream. I had a vision. I believe it was from you. And yet people didn't understand. Lord, I entrusted my dream to people for the interpretation, for the realization, for the fulfillment of that. And yet they forgot about me. Lord, I am so despondent with your timing. And then the scripture goes on to say, and two years later, Imagine if you in this aha moment and you think my time has arrived. This is the moment. This is the fulfillment of all that God has for me. 
I've been through my trials and my tribulations, my hurts and my betrayals and my frustrations and my people who've turned their back on me and people who've hurt me and people who haven't understood me. And now my, my moment has come and it says two years later. I want to release a sense of favor over you this afternoon. That for those of us who are feeling despondent because we had something of God and we've given up on it, Holy Spirit, won't you come this afternoon and just allow us to be able to bring forgiveness and resolution to the hurts and the frustrations that we feel, where people haven't understood us, where people have stood in the way of our dreams. Lord, won't you help me this afternoon where I've become frustrated with you because my dreams haven't come to fruition? Lord, where I've believed you to be a good God, to be able to allow the passions and the purpose and the vision that you have for me to come to pass, and I feel, God, that you have ignored me and haven't allowed it to come. I want to encourage you that there's something really amazing about the, 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 the process and the timing, and that is that God is in it. When we realize that the the dream wasn't Joseph when he was in the pit. The dream wasn't Joseph when he was in the prison. The dream wasn't Joseph when he was in slavery. The dream was always in Joseph. And so the dream that God has in you, God will work out through you. The dream and the plans and the purpose of God for Hillside is not about a project it's not about an agenda. It's about releasing the character and the kingdom of family into a community and seeing people come to the fullness of what they're called to. to, called to. We start to realize that the, 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 the dream that God had was in Joseph at every step of the way. And in all those situations and circumstances, Joseph was still in the dream then we start to realize that the dream that God has is no longer a tightrope. We can't easily fall in and out of the dream of God. We can't fall in and out of what God has for us. The, the, the dream and the passion God has for you isn't defined by your situation, your circumstance. It's defined by how he sees you as beloved sons and daughters, a community who are called and set apart to usher in his kingdom and bring freedom and favor to the community in Hillcrest and further afield. I would suggest that when you realize that your dream, that your purpose, that your passion is not about your position or your situation, it cannot ensnare you. You cannot, you can be free in the prison and yet bound up in the community if you don't know what it is that God is doing for you. And this afternoon we have the, the privilege of being able to allow people to, to come onto, onto leadership here at Hillside. And it really is a moment and an, an opportunity of celebration I really believe that as believers, we have an ability to live outside time because we are in Christ and Christ in us. 
And I believe that God has looked into the future and said, this is what I have in store for Hillside. This is what I have in store for this community. And he's gone ahead and placed treasures and provisions and people and blessings and favor in the seasons ahead. And we have the opportunity now to be able to say, Lord, we're going to position ourselves to walk into the blessings and bring all of those things. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.